Well, hello White Sox fans. How are you guys doing tonight? Welcome to another episode of White Sox Daily Live. My name is Ian Eskridge, and I will be your host for the evening. I am joined by my wonderful co-host, the Danny Miller. How you doing, Danny? Um, you know, probably uh, not the best time to answer me that. It's just been a crazy couple of weeks, uh, so I'm a little bit tired, but uh, you know, ready to get into the uh, the meat of the discussion tonight. So, you know, here we are. Let's uh, let's do this thing. Yeah. Well, um, here we sit. It's Valentine's Day. Uh, happy Valentine's Day. And um, will you be my Valentine? Yeah, um, I will not be asking uh, Rob Manfred and the owners to be my Valentine. That is for certain. Um, no. <laughs> here we go again. You know, I mean, it's like every week. You know, it's every week. It's it's something new. You know, whether it be just uh, radio silence or whether it be uh, you know some stupid. Um, stupid return volley from the owners and um here we sit again uh no agreement and uh not much prospects as of this point of uh you know getting back without missing significant uh, amounts of spring training um yeah. <laughs> i assume yeah, that you are uh, aggravated you all, of course as i think most uh True baseball fans are. Uh oh, am I potatoing over here? You are potatoing a little bit. Well, hopefully that uh, hopefully that doesn't affect our stream too much. Not it is Box Daily Live, so uh, as long as you can still hear me, my screen freezes. Uh, sort you know. of. You sound like a robot, so that's uh, good. Awesome. <laughs> anyway, I was just saying. Of course, I'm. Uh, I'm a little. Uh, Perturbed is a good word for uh, what's happening right now, but uh, you know we talk about you. You, see, you open the show with saying that uh, there's probably going to be uh, at least some uh, delay to spring training. Although according to uh, Mr. Manfred himself, he uh, he seems to think that there is uh, no change to the timeline, or at least he wants us to believe that. So, what are your thoughts? You know. Um... Yeah, I'm just obviously it, I, I'm not happy. Um, I wish that they could just, I, you know, and and I know that it's not such a, you know, not like a simple thing where I could just say I wish they could just, you know, figure it out and get it going. I mean, the issue being is that you know we've had this conversation. You know, uh, it doesn't seem to me that the owners are bargaining in very good faith here. Um, it just seems like. They're trying to m- slow this process down and uh, aggravate the players' union reps, and um, you know, try and slow the process down and keep it so uh, the the players start to sweat. You know, the crazy thing about that is uh, we heard something similar. We talked about this a little bit on last week's stream, but. Uh, you know, we heard something similar uh, happening in 2018 during the ever so creepingly slow hot stove. And, uh, you know, there was a certain unnamed GM that uh, worked in the uh, Braves organization that uh, came out and said that there had been contact 
with him and at least 27 other GMs about, uh, you know, things that should not have been contacted about. And one of those big things uh, was, you know, kind of keeping that hot stove at a slow pace to freeze out the players. And here we are again. And that guy lost his job over that situation on, uh, you know, faced uh, a lot of accusations of collusion and whatnot. And, uh, you know, it just seems we're seeing much more of the same here. And, uh, you know, what makes what he did any different than what they are doing collectively at the moment? And then the real aggravating part of this for me is the fact that, uh, you know, you've got the mouthpiece, Mr. Manfred, to come out and say, hey, look, we're we're trying to make all these concessions. We're giving the union all these things, you know, a DH and a draft lottery, and we're trying to raise, uh, you know, early our young age, early career players, uh, raises. And, uh, you know, they're trying to paint this picture that they're, you know, at the negotiating table and the union is not. And really, uh, all reports suggested none of those offers are really overwhelming. Yeah. They say, uh, in response from what I've heard is, uh, that the, the offers from the owners are basically non-starters. You know, there's no way, that uh, uh, most of these things are are going to be agreed to. I mean, I and I and I don't blame them. I mean, we had the uh, you know a few streams ago we had the breakdown of the uh, FCA goat. Welcome to the chat, sir. Uh, thanks for the follow. Um, hey. Yeah, I mean, it's just the the stupid things that you hear you know especially like i don't i don't know if you saw the uh the manford press conference the other day um it was pretty comical really uh, he's sitting here spouting off all the things that the owners have agreed to um but in reality uh you know like while he's saying these things if you actually look at the numbers of what the players want and what he's you know what the owners have offered it's like there's this uh, chasm in between them, you know. It's like just this, this yeah. huge, this huge valley in between the two uh, parties, and um, it's there's you know obviously for for a deal to get done, there's going to have to be some, uh, you know, there's going to have to be a little bit of give from both sides, you know, at least a little right. bit to to make this somewhat. Okay. Um, I will say, though, uh, in response to the uh, Atlanta uh, GM getting uh, canned over the whole collusion thing, one of my favorite things is watching public meltdowns of uh, GMs. It's it's really I, I really enjoy it. Uh, I have to say my you know, we talked about this, I think, uh, you know, via text this week. But one of my favorite ones was the uh, Seattle Mariners GM. Uh, on that uh, charity like webinar, you know, like uh, he's 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 on a uh, you know like a Google Meets or a Microsoft Teams thing, and he's sitting here talking about how they're not going to call up their top prospects because of service time. Yeah, and uh, we don't have to because uh, you know we don't. Basically, <laughs> yeah. we're not yeah, going to do it because we don't have to. Yeah, they're ready, but you know, <laughs> if we call them up now. You know, we're going to end up losing that extra year. So we're just not going to do that. And, uh, you know, of course, the uh, 
the Zoom or whatever it was that he was on was being recorded, and it made its way out to the masses, and uh, things did not go well for him, uh, to say it lightly, and uh, I, I really enjoy things like that. Um, yeah, I, you know, it's almost the same as a uh, a figurehead of an entire country uh, not realizing he's on a hot mic and calling somebody an a-hole. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, pretty much. So, uh, you know, those kinds of meltdowns are uh, definitely entertaining, to say the very least, no matter what your opinion on uh, those people are. But, uh, you know, you have to admit that those moments are kind of comical. And, uh, you know, it's especially fun when it comes back to bite somebody in the behind. Yeah, big fan. Big fan of that kind of thing. (laughs) Absolutely. Um, One of the things that uh, was uh, another one of those things in the collective bargaining agreement that was just bizarre uh, when you heard about it. Um, The owners are suggesting that the the tax, the luxury tax threshold, uh, when they talk about it going up, uh, they talk about it going up by like two, uh, what is it, like $2 million every year for like the next few years. But the thing is, is that though the two, you know, they're going up by $2 million, if you look at the tax taxable amount that the teams pay for how much they go over, they're escalating the tax like huge, you know, it's instead of it being, you know, 30% and 50% or, uh, I think that's what it is 30 and 50%. Now it's at like the, the top of the thing is a hundred percent. Right. So now you're going from what essentially was, you know, and they won't call it this, but it essentially was a soft cap the way it was structured in the last CBA. Uh, it goes from a soft cap to almost a hard cap by these penalties. So really you're not actually kind of doing anything to help the situation by raising it, you know, 2 million or two and a half million dollars per year over the next four or five years. Uh, you know, it, it, the devil's in the details. And unfortunately it seems like, uh, you know, the, there's this tug or this, this attempt to tug at the fans heartstrings by, you know, the owners association and MLB, um, to kind of paint the players and the union as the evil here, because you know we're we're coming to the table to negotiate, and we're doing all these things, but really in reality they're not doing much of anything. Uh, it's it's all you know pomp and circumstance, really. So, hundred percent. Yeah, it's 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 all just a a thing to try and make themselves look good. The short kid thirteen thirteen. Thanks for the follow. Appreciate it. Yeah, it's just it. It, it's so transparent and obvious to me when I look at it, just listening to Manfred talk, the nonsense that's coming out of his mouth. I mean, when you hear that the, the players are coming and asking for a you know $125 million pool, and then the owner's return is $10 million, I mean, to me, that's just ridiculous. It's like I offer, say, I come over to your house and I offer, you know, you you have it, you know, on Craigslist for sale for fifteen thousand dollars. That's like me coming over and offering you fifteen hundred dollars for it and saying, "What? What's the problem? Is it you don't think this is a fair offer? I'm serious. This is a great offer. 
you know, and they're supposed they're supposed to be just like, oh yeah, that's great, yeah. All right, next issue, you know, like come on. <laughs> so I'm just ridiculous. I'm just being shrewd. I'm not doing anything. I'm just I'm just I'm just trying to get the best deal possible. No, you're trying to jam it where the sun don't shine. Really, uh, it's it's, it, it's insanity. It's absolute insanity. Um. So. Moving on to uh, White Sox news, which, I mean, realistically, there's not a whole lot of. Um, this week, uh, this this past weekend, uh, I think it was on Saturday that the news came out that the White Sox are requiring all minor leaguers to be vaccinated in order to participate in spring training. And it also came out that they are essentially requiring all employees to be vaccinated, which, you know, okay, fine. You know, regardless, you know, I know that a bunch of people have uh, viewpoints of, uh, you know, political whatever about this whole thing, but I'm just completely stripping that out of this conversation. I don't care whether you think that the vaccination is right, whatever. The next, uh, like a few hours later, it comes out that Major League Baseball is trying to fight for the right to not pay the minor leaguers for spring training still. And at that point, I simply say to myself, okay, so in this press release, you say that the minor leaguers are not employees and that they're benefiting a lot from this training, so they shouldn't be paid because they're not employees. But on the other hand, you're saying that all employees and them have to be vaccinated to participate in spring training. Now, if you're not paid for something, uh, to me, it seems like if you're not paying them, you can't tell them what to do. You know, if I go to my job and they say, you know, which I I had to submit a, you know, vaccination card saying that I was vaccinated because I work in Cook County. So I had to do the, the, the card. And if I didn't do that, I had to be tested, I think, every every day or something like that. <laughs> something ridiculous like that. I didn't it, even whatever. Know. Yeah, I don't even know, honestly. I think it's at least once a week anyways. Yeah, something like that. But... I receive a paycheck from them, you know, and and if I go for training that is going to benefit me and also benefit them, if I'm working for them, I am paid for it and I'm compensated. Um, As is the the case, I think, in most places. And uh, here's the I'm sorry if I'm stepping on you. If you if you've got another point to make, please go ahead and do because I just have one thing I want to add to all this. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I, I want to hear what you have to say, and I, I think we're probably going to end up uh, aligned and on the same side of this issue. Well, I'm pretty sure we are as well, too, because I'm not a fan of telling somebody that they are an employee. Because here's the thing, as a minor leaguer, you are more, more often than not, not just a minor leaguer for one season. So let's say, you know, I've seen this argument on, on the socials, and one person said, well, you know, you don't get paid when you're in training on some jobs, or you don't get paid your uh, your regular salary. You might get a reduced salary until you finish training, and then you get your you know regular salary that you 
contracted for. Uh, but the thing with minor leaguers is, is, you know, these guys are minor leaguers for all more often than not two, three, four years, you know? And, uh, so I make it through my initial training and then I, you know, me as I'm, if I'm, I'm playing the role of minor leaguer here. When I say me, I make it through my initial training and then I move on to the regular season, the regular minor league season. And I do that entire minor league season. And then my employer expects me to upkeep my talents and skills and my physique and health throughout the off season. So really under my contract, I, I'm, I'm still an employee 12 months out of the year, whether or not I'm actually playing games during that 12 months. Um, and then the following season comes along and I have spring training again. I am not a brand new employee. I am not going to a different type of training where I need to, you know, start my job over again. I've already done this same training once before. Why do I have to cut my pay to do what I've been doing, the same job that I've been doing, because you deem me not an employee during this period? Uh, kind of makes no sense, honestly. Yeah. Uh, the, the whole thing's just uh, asinine. You know, I, and I, you know, of course, I, I watch a ton of minor league baseball. You know this. Um, a lot of the listeners, watchers know that, the, you know, they know the same thing. I watch a lot of minor league baseball, and I'm not going to, I'm not going to say that I'm not a minor league sympathizer when it comes to uh, this, this pay thing. Um, and, you know, when, You've got uh, people screaming for fifteen dollars an hour, you know, to as a minimum wage, and then you see what the minor leaguers are making, and uh, you know, realize that they're only essentially getting paid when there are games. They're not getting paid the rest of the year. So, and and when they're not playing games, they're expected to be. Uh, you know, going to gyms and training and trying to improve at their craft. Um, yeah, some of them on a four hundred dollar a week salary. Exactly, four hundred bucks a week. You know, uh, I know people that work at McDonald's that make that kind of money. You know what I mean? And and no offense to the, you know, I'm not trying to say that there's anything wrong working with at McDonald's for those people out there to do. But what I'm saying is, is that these are considered highly skilled. You know, let's just call them technicians at their job. These guys are the best of the best in the world. You know, to be able to even make the minor league system, there are only so many players and so many people on a bill. You know, a planet of almost eight billion people. There's only a very small fraction that gets that level. And uh, you know, unfortunately, they are uh, they're being treated as if you know they were the gum on the bottom of the shoe, uh, and it's quite unfortunate to say the least. Yeah, that's fairly accurate. I mean, I, I like I said, you know, I follow the minor leagues. Uh, I pay entirely too much attention to the minor leagues, um, and to see that the players that you are trying to groom to be the next thing for your team, uh, regardless of whether you think they're going to be major league players or not you're expecting these people to essentially do their work for uh, 
next to nothing. And you watch these uh, these videos that are popping up all over the place now with uh, different minor leaguers um, that are saying, you know, well, look at how we're living here. You know, there's six guys living in this apartment. There's two guys sleeping in the kitchen. And we're all sleeping on mattresses on the floor. And we're lucky if we have a TV in the house. And if we do, we're going to return it at the end of the season and get our money back. You know, it's... Right. Uh, I read something earlier this week, and I can't remember the exact number, but it was something like uh, it was over 70% of minor league players throughout all the levels of the minor leagues live uh, at or below the poverty level. I mean, and that says something that I mean, really, really says something that, you know, someone as skilled as these guys are to get to where they're where they've gotten and they're living at or below the poverty level while we look at the owners who are you know, increasing their riches and MLB as an organization is, you know, increasing its riches threefold over the course of, you know, five years uh, or over the last 20 years, at least anyway. But in the last three to five years, there was a, almost four billion billion with a B dollar jump in revenues. Uh, really, really, really disturbing really disturbing and then they want to sell us on the fact that oh you know we had a shortened season so we're broke and uh, all these and any other work stoppages might contribute to another shortened season where our projected revenues aren't going to be what uh what they were so we really got to just cinch up the old purse strings ah uh, yeah i'm not buying it yeah, no, it's, I mean, it's complete, I mean, it's insanity, really. Um, for any of these guys that own teams to cry poor about anything. And we've had this talk about uh, about the teams that are essentially getting their entire payroll paid on luxury tax money, <laughs> you know, realistically, or... Uh, Revenue sharing, they're getting paid more in revenue sharing for things that they have absolutely nothing to do with than they're spending out on their payroll. I mean, right now, the what do the Pirates have like a $19 million payroll or something like that? Something I mean, like that. And, you know, I'm glad you bring that up, too, because we talked a little bit earlier in the, you know, at the beginning of the show here about uh, raising the, uh, the first threshold of the CBT. And, you know, it goes up by whatever it is, two million, two million plus a year. But in reality, how many teams are actually even hitting that threshold? Number one. And number two, uh, I think it was like 10 or so teams at the end of the season last year were below 100 million. So you're literally 50% or more below what that threshold is. So raising that threshold by two $3 million, whatever it is. How is that really benefiting the game? It's only benefiting the richest teams that are willing to spend that kind of money. Yeah. And how many are willing to do that? I mean, we're talking uh, Dodgers, uh, Yankees, uh, Red Sox when they're, when they're in it, you know? Um, yeah. The last few years, you maybe you're, you're kind of looking in the San Diego's direction a little bit. Yeah. Uh, you know, the Mets have been up in that range a few yeah. times. Yeah, clearly they're ready to spend some money. You know, the Cubs did it a couple years ago, but and it, but they did it for like a season or two, and then decided that the tax was going to be too much and backed off hard. So you know, 
even when they do hit those thresholds, most teams don't even stay at or above those thresholds for very long because they're too afraid of, oh, we got to pay all these taxes. Well, you know, you got yourself into that position and the rest of the league isn't following suit. Yeah, you know? I mean, it's you know, they're talking about, uh, you know, the fact that the ones who are really complaining about that thing are the guys who are the middle of the road and below, are the ones who are trying to establish that tax on the over teams because they're trying to bring everybody kind of down to their to this level. Thing. Which, which is fine, but the thing is is that if that's going to be the case, that that's the way that you're going to do it, then these teams have – I mean, there has to be – if you are going to implement this super hard uh, tax, a luxury tax, there has to be some sort of a, a minimum salary requirement in order to be able to – Right, and if if you know. you're gonna if you're gonna stop all that, then you know you might as well stop the revenue sharing as well, because uh, why should this team get paid to only field a team that is half of what the revenue sharing is? They're making money off of this, so if you're gonna curtail the teams from that spend big from spending big, well, then we're not gonna give all that money to the guy on the low end because. You know, you want to level the playing field. You can't have it both ways. You know what I mean? It just doesn't work. Yeah, that's the thing I I do not understand is that they're trying to establish a top end, but then you're still yeah, but but they don't want a bottom, of course. And And the players don't really want that either. They they're pretty much against it as well too for multiple reasons. But I'm please continue. Yeah, but I mean, but they're still willing to, and I, I kind of, you know, I have to imagine. I don't know for sure because I'm not, uh, I don't run in those crowds, but um, I have to assume that the more uh, financially uh, stable and uh, upwardly mobile teams uh, probably aren't really too thrilled about giving, you know. You know, eight hundred million dollars away because they're right. because they're actually spending money, right? And so, you know, by the time it's all said and done, a team like the Pirates gets uh, anywhere from one hundred and forty to two hundred million dollars per season. You know, I think on average the last couple of years it was like one hundred and twenty plus eighty uh, for the two different uh, ranges, or the two different ways that revenue sharing works, and uh, I don't remember the exact names of in in categories how that all works but uh it was broken down in an article i read and there was two different payouts and uh it generally came out to close to 200 million dollars shared across the board so you know <laughs> that's really close to what the uh the, the the threshold the first threshold of the fir- of the competitive ah, the first threshold of the competitive balance tax has been uh in recent years uh you know it was in the neighborhood of 200 and it went up to 202 and 206 it was going up roughly 2.2 to 2.5 a year for like the last four or five years so you know uh it i I can't see any justification you really cannot see the justification for it yeah i'm there with you uh, the whole thing, you know, like I keep saying, is uh, the whole thing to me is just absurd. Um, if 
I would if I, I and the thing is they asked about a federal mediator. If they called in a federal mediator and the mediator said, "Yeah, you know what? Uh I think the players should accept this and we should really just uh call this meeting it in the middle." Like I can't imagine that a mediator would have said that anything like most of these things that they came back with would be fair to the players, you know? I mean, the the minimum salary huge amount of money in between the two parties. The player pool, huge, huge divot. You know, I was actually very surprised. And see, here's one of the things is if the players are conceding the extra playoff teams and uh, even possibly realignment, if they are, a lot, you know, if they're saying that that's okay, I would think that the owners just as a place to meet in the middle for that, just alone for the extra playoff series, that they would be willing to, you know, meet the request for the minimum salary for players. Because realistically, if you've got a team that are all minimum salary, I mean, what, your payroll goes up 25% if you've got everybody making you know, seven hundred and twenty-five or seven hundred fifty thousand dollars a year. So, if you've got less players on that end, essentially, you know, you your your payroll is going up. What, like uh, a million? You know, two million dollars for an entire season. Yeah. Yet the players are saying, "Hey, we'll do another round of playoffs, which will get more places involved." is going to add on to your TV contract probably somewhere in the area of like $500 million at least. Right. Ticket sales. Concession sales. Exactly. Local revenue sales. Uh, you know, merchandise sales. All these things all goes into the pockets of the owners, but we don't want to give you any more money. But we'll, we'll play more playoff games. Uh, hmm. Yeah. Thanks. I guess <laughs> I just I don't I don't understand I I don't understand why it's 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 like talking to a brick wall that they're not getting like any semblance of what would seem like a sober person's response. Right. You know what I'm saying? It's like it's exactly like I'm talking some drunk guy showing up at your house to try and buy your car. You know, it's it's stupid. Like I I just don't understand. Uh, Anywho, um, you know, and uh, I want to talk about before we move on real quick, mm -hmm. uh, you know, Mr. Manfred came out and said one of the concessions they were going to make was the universal DH, right? And here's another one of the arguments that I saw on the socials is, oh, it gives more jobs. It creates more jobs, which means there's more money in the pool. Uh, there's 15. Let me let me just say that one more time. 15 National League teams that are going to need a DH now. So, 15 out of about 1,000 players in the league, we're going to add 15 jobs. Yeah. And that's that's going to increase the amount of money that uh, ownership has to spend, and it's going to give more people jobs. Uh, bro, I don't know what world we live in, but uh, 15 out of 1,000 is not even a teardrop in a bucket, brother. Yep. I, I'm, I'm saying, man, it's 
the the things that I see that are returned from the owners uh, compared to the things that the players have even and I hardly call anything that the owners have done so far I call them concessions because as far as I see everything that they've done is in their best interest. Um, it actually benefits them. Yeah. Yeah, it's like as far as like a like one of the things that he was like, oh yes, we're going to do a uh, an international draft, like like that's going to help anybody, you know. Although they did say they were going to raise the salary, you know, like uh, raise the um, the uh, slot bonuses. But in order to get those slot bonuses, you have to take a pre draft physical. That is a that is a huge caveat right there. That you have to, because nobody has to do that right now. They have to take a post draft physical before they sign to show that they're healthy. Now they're saying that the players will need a pre draft physical. So, Kumar Rocker, if there truly is something wrong with his elbow, he probably wouldn't have gotten drafted at all or gotten drafted really uh, far lower. But I'd say I would even be doubtful that he would even sign because after the Mets uh, declined to sign him, like there was like there was no back and forth afterwards. No, you know it was just okay. We're not signing you, and that's it. And they dropped they they rescinded their contract offer. So the fact that they didn't send another offer uh, seemed kind of kind of weird to me, considering that uh, he was rated as being one of the top pitching prospects in the class or in, in the, in the entire draft class, you know? So it is really strange. And, you know, it's of course, you know, due to that's not due to that situation, obviously by itself, but you know, now we're talking about pre-draft physicals. Oh, but we'll give you, we'll give them an extra hundred thousand dollars on their signing bonus, you know, which, you know, I look at how you want, I guess. Uh, it's protecting the teams to, you know, to a point um, and probably will help them in the long run if there's somebody that's injured and not saying anything. But, I mean, still. Yeah, so. I mean, I, you know, again, it all just goes to, the, to, to your point that everything that is happening, whether, you know, and they, they call them concessions, they all they really do is it benefits one side and not the other. Uh, and, you know, we've kind of run down the general reasons why these so-called concessions do indeed benefit the owners and MLB more than they do the players, which is why the players are underwhelmed. And a lot of people just don't seem to get it. A lot of people are uh, going out of their way to not get it is is uh from what i've seen for a lot of them anyway um you know i had a guy tell me uh just the other day and i'm pretty sure you saw this on facebook that uh you know apparently i wasn't you know he had some ideas about how all this was going and why i was wrong for siding with the players and that i was just not used to being around people who understood business yes you know nothing about business you have no business sense um (laughs) Well, here's my reasons for having business sense, and I can lay it all out for you. And then they use, you know, I see it, and it wasn't just this guy. I see it all over, again, the socials that, you know, people use words like communism and socialism and capitalism. And they use them in such ways 
that are so far out of what those th- those words actually mean and those uh, philosophies are that uh, I find it rather comical. Yeah, <laughs> comical. Yeah, there's. A- I got called. I got called a communist, and uh, I'm like, um, you know what? I have an unlocked Facebook profile. You can go check it out. I've got a ton of my uh, military photos on there. I'm a, communist. I'm a Navy. I'm a Navy veteran. I wrap myself in the American flag. You know what I mean? But uh, I'm a communist. <laughs> Big time uh, communist. I, I, you know, because I don't agree with the business practice of M- MLB owners. <laughs> yes, because you would like uh, the bottom tier to be paid for spring training. Uh, that makes you a communist. That sounds sounds legit to me. I mean, seems right. Because I, I because I, I I believe in fair compensation for uh, a job done a job performed <laughs> yeah i for for thinking that you know uh guys that are in the minor league should be able to pay for their own food uh be able to in housing <laughs> at least have a child in their in their uh you know in the time if they if they choose to do so um obviously uh communist um. Yeah, no. Uh, it's been seeing a lot of stupidity about, it. and the the thing is, is that if you look on Twitter, you look on Facebook, any kind of social media, this this whole thing's been going going around in circles basically since the whole lockout started. You know, you got some people that are pro owner, some people that are pro players. Although I I have to say, it seems to me that the uh, the pendulum has swung towards the players quite a bit on this. Uh, in during this lockout, it seems to me that uh, the sympathy te- seems to be teetering farther towards the players than certainly to the owners. Um, you know, the fact that people are actually seeing numbers on Twitter of revenues, and it's and the thing is, is that they're incomplete revenues, and it's still so hugely skewed in the in the owners' favor that. I don't think that anything that they do is going to sway public, you know, the the masses of public opinion in their direction. I, I don't see there's any way that that could possibly happen. No, no, but you know, it, the fact still remains that there are still quite a few people out there that, uh, you know, whether or not it's teetering, I don't really know. I haven't seen that for myself, but I'll take your word for it. But. There are quite a bit of people out there who seem to be siding with owners, and it's it really is uh, mind boggling to me. I've got I got another one for you. Uh, this just dropped. Uh, Jeff Passan of ESPN just tweeted out that Major League Baseball asked for the ability to eliminate hundreds of minor league playing jobs in its latest labor proposal. Sources told ESPN the league would not be allowed to implement the plan until after 2022. Uh, didn't they already cut out minor league jobs last year? They uh, they basically uh, took away some uh, low A teams already as it is. So uh, to yeah. f- follow up with this, currently teams can roster 180 domestic minor league players. The league is seeking the ability for the commissioner's office to reduce it to below 150, but could add to the number two. 
Right now, sources said two teams have fewer than 150, while five teams have more than 180. While the MLBPA represents only major leaguers, it does bargain for a number of amateur-slash-minor league issues. Among those, the draft. The union in July proposed a 20-round draft, something that the league accepted, one of the few points on which they've agreed during negotiations. So, yes, to answer your question, yes, they did take away jobs because they eliminated an entire league of teams uh, for rookies, and they also took it from 40 to 20 rounds in the draft. So you eliminated 20 guys that were getting signed and slash drafted every year. And you got rid of developmental teams. So now but they're we added, asking. We added 15 guys of hip DH. <laughs> but we added 15 DH. See, now you're, now you're learning. I think that you, you're getting a job with MLB, with the owners. Because uh, I think that you, know. you might be good on the other side from Tony Clark. It probably the sarcasm runs. Uh, baseball is not bad. FCA pool. goat. Um, yeah, baseball is not back. Uh, in fact, uh, it seems that they're trying to take baseball even farther away with uh, some of the stupid, th- stupid things they keep on asking for. So, uh, at this point, I. <laughs> oh man it's it's just uh, and you know you know I, i'm I, uh, just a baseball what else can fan you do? yeah i'm just a baseball fan you know i like to watch baseball uh, i root for the white Sox. uh watch a lot of minor league baseball so realistically could i find something else to do with my time of course i could but uh, i enjoy it and um they keep on doing these stupid things and making people that are not, uh, how should I say, uh, tied necessarily to the sport that have like a, uh, a passing fancy, if you will. Um, they're going to have no problem going elsewhere. Meanwhile, people like you and I, who are watching every single game, watching some minor league baseball, watching all the playoffs, those people are sitting here suffering about this stuff and the other people are like, yeah, whatever I could take it or leave it. And they'll dip. And that's going to hurt them because the people that are the casual fans are the people who are going to drive up your revenues. Cause you're always going to have that baseline, you know, of, of fans, but right. the people that are more casual are the people who are going to continue showing up to games and fill up the stadium every day. So you know, I gotta be honest with you. I have uh, I've been contacted by multiple pe- people already this off season. Uh, one of which is a uh, a buddy of mine. We, we do a group opening day thing every year. Unfortunately, I may have a training class to go to, which is why I kind of have not uh, gotten my tickets for that outing, which kind of sucks because I do enjoy my opening day baseball uh, live and in person. Uh, it's kind of been a tradition for you know thirty years for me. Um, but you know, I've had, I've also had other people reach out to me for, you know, Hey, this sounds like it would be a great series and go see at home. This one sounds like a great series would be, you know, the white Sox put out single game tickets, you know, 
last week. Let's mm-hmm. uh, let's get tickets to this game. And I'm thinking to myself, you know what? I don't know if I want them because I'm tired of it. I'm, uh, you know, I'm, I probably will eventually suck it up and go to a game. But right now, I'm a little butter. I don't want to. I don't want to spend my money on these clowns. Yeah, I you know, what? I don't want to. I don't want to put money in the owner in, in Jerry Reinsdorf's pocket anymore. You know, I don't want to. I don't want to put money in, the, and because they're going to revenue share with all these other guys who are against, you know, everything that is the and the players. To be honest with you, sure, they're they're asking for a, a ton of different points. They've got a ton of different bullet points that they're asking for on this new CBA, but they're really not asking for a lot in a lot of situations. Uh, you know, and I I I just feel like. You know, the only way to uh, kind of put these owners in their place is if the fans say, you know what, screw you. Enough's enough. And you're going to keep passing off the cost of these agreements onto the fans while you're making money hand over fist at ungodly rates. And you're going to blame it on the the players' contracts. Well, we had to pay this guy three hundred million dollars, so we got to raise the price of your hot dog and beer. You know, seven bucks this year. Yeah, and well, I, it was already fifteen dollars. Now I'm paying twenty three dollars for a beer. You know what I mean? Like, go screw yourself, man. Yeah, and there's oh, you're potatoing. Um, there's also on the other side, there's the fact that uh, the people that bought playoff tickets last year uh, for the playoff game that did not happen. The money that they put in did not get refunded to them for months. So, you know, not to get to, uh, you know, money grubby, you know, but the fact is, is that they had that money and they're accruing interest on that money. You right. know, with that, they're withholding well, the from people. Were, guy. Exactly. Exactly. The blue collar guy who, you know, might have splurged a little bit to get that and didn't get the opportunity to to see what that you know, let's just call it an investment. He you know, they made an investment hoping that they were gonna get a chance to see a game and it never came to fruition. And uh, you know, a lot of people might have uh had to cinch up the belt a little bit to make that happen. Uh, you know, you got a family, the cost of those kinds of games is uh significant for some folks. Later go and have a good night. Good night. Uh, that that cost can be significant for some folks, but they they saw an opportunity. They said, you know what, this might hurt a little bit, but I want to take this this chance to go see my team in the playoffs. And then they make them sit and wait for it. Yeah, I mean, well, like you said, while they collect interest, while they make more money exactly. off of your dime. Exactly. It, it it makes absolutely no sense to me whatsoever. Um, the the whole thing is. Every it's just one thing after another. Questionable business. In one shape or form, you know, one shape, form or another, and uh, you know, it's aggravating. And I don't blame yeah. I don't blame people for getting angry about it because, um, you know, I we as White Sox fans for crying out loud, the ninety four strike is spearheaded by the owner of the team while they're supposed to be heading into con- into contention. Same thing with this White Sox team. I'm sure that he's not far off the front lines, you know, 
I mean, just judging by what we've seen from Jerry Reinsdorf over uh, a span of uh, 30 plus years, you know, 40 years. 40. Yeah. So, uh, decompress. Uh, yeah. It, yeah. Who's as I potato again? Yeah. Um, uh, to to finish that whole uh, thing with the Jeff Passon thing is that the uh, players union has not responded formally yet, uh, but the players intend to reject it and any future proposals that could cut minor league jobs. So at least there's that. Good on you for that, guys. Um, deesh, man. It's just one thing. After, every time you hear about something that is slightly positive, there's like 10 things that come back that just are completely asinine. You know? Yeah, things that make you go, hmm. Although maybe I should not use that because I think uh, there's another show and there's another baseball sports show out there that uh, uses that tagline. But, you know, uh, yeah. I don't know. I, all I can do is shake my head at some of these things. You know, and it it sucks as a fan to feel completely helpless in these situations. Other than, you know, if the if the owners want to freeze out the players, we as fans can freeze out the owners. In reality, it, that's never going to happen. You're going to have your diehards that just don't give a damn, and they're going to buy their season tickets every year, and they're going to go to games, and you're going to have everybody out there spending, you know, two hundred dollars on a officially licensed MLB jersey and you know instead of going to DH gate <laughs> <laughs> you know I, I'm just saying uh it, it, unless we could get a, a large number of fans to kind of come together on this and stand their ground it's just never gonna happen uh so really it just it all feels like the owners do have the upper hand no matter what and uh you know that kind of brings me to another point that, uh, you know, I was talking with uh, some of the guys in uh, White Sox Premium earlier this week, and somebody asked, that, well, if the players, if, if there was a, a, a mention of the possibility that if there's not an agreement made, Rob Manfred wouldn't act the previous CBA to get a season underway without losing any of the 162. Uh, I don't know where this rumor came from. Uh, it was kind of just said that there was there was whispers of this thing happening, and somebody asked, "Well, if that if that's the case, do the players strike?" And my response to that is, I believe they do. Uh, I think they do too. I believe they do. They have been getting burned for twenty six years, uh, and I think. They are pretty staunch on making at least two or three major concessions in their in their in their in uh, direction. Yeah, they want things to change. Uh, you know, there's a like we said, there's a lot of bullet points in in what they've got laid out for this agreement. I don't believe that they want all of them. Uh, well, know, some I mean, of that is they probably uh, do, but I believe some of it's posturing as well. Just both sides are posturing, but I think if they were to be able to get two or three somewhat major concessions going in their way, they can maybe take that momentum into the next CBA. 
but uh ugh, it's if if that new or I'm sorry if if a new CBA isn't reached I do believe the players strike. I do believe they say you know what enough's enough. Yeah, I I am firmly uh in the camp of thinking that they'll strike. I I don't they've been taken advantage of for too long as far as some of these I mean you know, having a job is great and all, um, but the owners have been kind of skating and using, you know, speaking of like uh, service time, like that thing in particular. The players want to get rid of that as soon as they can. So I don't think that they're going to play. I don't think they're going to allow another season where there isn't some sort of change that's going to affect positively who is coming up. You know, I don't think and how that- can you let that go for any longer? Really, honestly, we've talked about this in the past. You got guys that make their way through the minor league system and all, some of them aren't getting their first season in MLB until they're 24, 25, 26 years old when they should be hitting their peak. And now they're under this five-year contract. And they're so far away from their first shot at free agency that they they're in their decline. Now they're, they're in their years that are considered the declining years. Yep. So there goes, how do these guys ever get a chance? Right. How do these guys ever get a chance at the, at the true contract they deserve? Yeah. That's a one. That's like the one thing about the, the whole argument from people. uh, Oh, you're frozen. Um, That's the, the thing that really bothers me about that whole argument in general is that, you know, we're not talking about the real world here. You know, in the real world, somebody who's not making enough money can go and find another job. If they don't feel that they're being valued correctly, they go somewhere else where they are valued and they get themselves a raise. Or they keep on, you know, doing the thing that uh, a lot of people are doing now, which is they stay at a job for a year and then they move on. Stepping stones, right? Yeah, exactly. In Major League Baseball, these guys can't do that. They get drafted by a team. They're at their mercy for when they come up, and for you know where they're placed in the system. And then once they get there, they're stuck for you know. I mean, say say some guy had been there for two years in the minors and then makes it up. He's still got arbitration years, right? And then because there's some ridiculous loophole. He can be stuck in that same contract for an additional year. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, just the and and, and it's, if you're not talking about a uh, you know a Mike Trout or a Chris Bryant, you know MVP winning player, you know they'll make decent money, but not as much as they're going to probably make on the free agent market. But you know they're being held back, and there's and there's literally not one thing that they can do about it. It's not like they can just go and find another job somewhere else. No, you and know? Then, you know, it, you know, these teams they 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 hold these guys down for however many days it is before they bring them up at you know early in the season to get that extra year of control, and then that guy comes up, and let's just use Chris Bryant for example because it's probably one of the most famous cases uh, in recent times over this whole thing, you know, and he comes up and uh, you know he makes an error. Or two. And they go, see? See? He wasn't ready. 
He wasn't ready. That's why we held him back a little bit. We yep. told you. We yep. told you. And now he we get to work a whole on his defense, another man. year to work on him. Yeah. Like mm. Luis Robert needed to work on his fielding, you know? Aloy Jimenez needs to work on his fielding. Can't call him up, you know? You got to let him sit for no. a while. No. Oh, you see that? Oh, oh. Oh, oh he, he struck out once. Yep. See? He, was, he wasn't ready. Yep. He, you know? These are just the things. You know, he's he's still developing. Yep. Uh, <laughs> all right. Well, let's move on because this thing yeah, is Yeah, I'm sorry. Uh, we're, we're beating a dead horse. Yeah. yeah. Um, so uh, did you happen to catch any of the uh, the Dan Victor uh, stream slash podcast? I know you uh, were here I for did. a little bit of the stream, but. I was in for a little bit, and, uh, you know, I was kind of in and out that night. Uh, I had a lot of things going on last week, as you know. Uh, we won't get into that, but, uh, you know, I, I caught some of it and, uh, I really was interested to hear about some of these young kids, uh, especially the young pitchers that were talked about. And, uh, yeah, I really enjoyed the show that the parts I did catch. Yeah. I had, uh, I had a lot of fun. Um, it was really nice to get some nice minor league talk in. I don't get nearly enough of that, uh, in my life. I need more my, I always need more minor league baseball. Always. So that was nice. Um, yeah, it was great talking to Dan and uh, heard a lot of great stuff and uh, a lot of nice things to, to look forward to um, on that tip. Uh, I don't know if you've caught this, but uh, Future Sox dropped their uh, their episode, their podcast episode of uh, with Baseball America's um, guy on uh, talking about the top 20 prospects for the White Sox. And uh, I found that to be uh, very interesting as well to see uh, outside viewpoints. And um, it was nice to hear that, like I'm thinking, and a lot of people were angry about the uh, White Sox getting the 30th spot in the rankings for the the, uh, minor league uh, farm ratings. And, um, yeah, a lot of hate on Keith law out there. I saw, which is not unusual for Sox fans. Let's no, be honest. Yeah. But unfortunately this time around, Keith might've actually been right. And he did say some things that, you know, kind of, uh, vindicated some of his, uh, his hate, you know, you know, I mean, it's, <laughs> he was, I, I, and I'm just saying he was fair. I didn't feel like. I didn't there there have been times where I was kind of like okay what's this guy looking at like when he's talking about Luis Robert saying that eh, he's okay <laughs> like w- when there was that stuff going on then I felt personally attacked uh but now I now I look at it and I'm like I get it you know I understand why you're saying this about this player you know I understand why you're ranking them 30th out of 30 farm systems, you know, it makes sense. Uh, I mean, could he have said, Oh no, they're 29th. You know, I mean, if he said they were 29th instead of 30th, people still wouldn't have been happy. I mean, they might say, Hey, at least we're not 30th anymore from him, you know, but, but I mean, you know, realistically people still would have been pissed. Yeah. And when you look at the teams, you know, the Strohs were the team that uh, are above us in most of the rankings. And uh, you look at their farm system, you could have probably interchanged them for 29 and 30 pretty much amongst all those lists. And, 
yeah, it wouldn't have done much either way. So, you know, they're both uh, they're both bottom of the barrel, uh, and uh, there's reasons for that. You know, we talked about those reasons a little bit before, and uh, I'm sure that a lot of folks have seen that on the social media. But you know, the main thing is is they graduated all their top studs in the farm system, and in that time, they did a lot of. Uh, prep drafting which is going to take some time for these guys to uh develop to the point of uh moving up the ranks so you know uh i can't say that i disagree with most of what he said yeah no i yeah i'm 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 there with you um evening thirsty fire 24/7 how you doing good to see you thanks for stopping in um hello yeah i i don't know the baseball america guy you know same thing, you know, more or less said the exact same thing that Keith Law said, maybe a little bit more friendly and a little less uh, prickly, and people are certainly less butthurt, you know, over a long period of time, you know, compared to Keith Law. Um, but, you know, there's, you know, a lot of the same concerns, a lot of the same things said, Um and a lot of the rankings are pretty stinking close. So it's, right. it's you know, it's not... Out that far out of uh, the realm of possibilities that maybe Keith Law is not just hating the White Sox. I mean, this time. Yeah, I was gonna say there's this, this th- time. there's 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 plenty of sample size to uh, say yeah. that 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 is it's probably a fair statement to say that he does hate on the White Sox quite often, but this time around he seems to have his ducks in a row, which he was probably rejoicing in as he wrote that ranking. You know, I can finally dump on them and be right about it because <laughs> that's the way it feels sometimes. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Um, some of the things that uh, that they brought up, uh, Colson Montgomery looks at least uh, the guy from BA says that he thinks that Colson Montgomery will stick at shortstop and that he is athletic enough to be able to do so, which was really nice to hear. Um one of the guys that uh, the guys at uh, Future Sox asked about was a guy that I was high on after seeing him last year, uh, which was uh, Adam Hackenberg, the catcher that was drafted uh, out of Clemson. And uh, one thing that he did mention was his brother. Uh, he's a, apparently his family is like super athletic, you know, basically super athletes. Um, one brother got drafted into the NFL. Uh, I don't know if he actually made the team or whatever, but then another guy uh, is in Major League Soccer, uh, another one of his brothers. So, I mean, basically all these guys are... Yeah, it sounds know. like a good pedigree. Yeah, exactly. They got some uh, They got some uh, good stuff. So, yeah, this time. Um, so, uh, but... He was he basically saying he's the best defensive catcher in the in the system, which you know I thought anyway. Um, Carlos Perez is pretty good, but I have to say the Hackenberg. I mean, I haven't seen the guys in the you know like the the really young guys in the ACL and in uh, the Dominican, but I have to assume from from the guys that I've seen, Hackenberg is far and above uh, all of them uh, throughout like forty five percent of the you know would be base stealers. Uh, that he saw last now, year. Uh, let me ask you this, and uh, and I might be not just speaking for myself here. I might be speaking for some of the folks uh, that are listening. Uh, I am not really familiar with this kid. 
and you know, obviously, you're talking about his defense and being the best defensive uh, guy at the position. But how does the stick play? Uh, from what I've seen uh, last year, uh, and I'll bring up his stats right now. Um, let's see. Uh, so just to uh, reiterate, he was an 18th rounder um, taken out of Clemson, and there were a bunch of injuries when he was at Clemson. So uh, it probably, you know, apparently everybody said that he was very talented. Uh, just the issue was that he was always injured. Um, so easily drop you down the draft board quite a bit. Exactly. Uh, especially, you know, you know, coming out as a, you know, a junior out of uh, college. I believe he was a junior, if I remember correctly. Okay. Um, yeah. So, uh, in the neighborhood of 20, 21 years old. Uh, he's 22 right now. Yeah. He uh, turned 22, uh, last August. Um, so, uh, at Kannapolis last year, um, he was 28 for 81, um, with four walks and 16 strikeouts. So the, the walk rate to strikeout rates, not great. Um, but he did not strike out a lot. I mean, you know, in the grand scheme of things, he didn't really strike out at a very, very high percentage. It was pretty low, you know, um, but uh, he only had one home run. He did have 11 RBIs. Um, his uh, his OPS was 841, um, but also, you know, longest season of his career probably. Uh, most games ever played in his career probably uh, last year. And uh, it's his first taste of pro ball. And he came right. out and hit 346 in Kannapolis, you know. Uh, say what you will, you know, the whole batting average argument, whatever. Um, but, uh, no, but an 841 OPS for a guy, uh, coming out of college a year early, uh, especially at a, uh, a position being catcher that, uh, you know, all more often than not, you're either a defensive catcher or you're a hitting catcher. Not too many guys put both together at least at the same time anyway. So. Uh, you know, 841 OPS isn't, isn't, uh, anything to, uh, stick your nose up at. Yeah, absolutely not. Uh, so thirsty fire asks, uh, this isn't really a baseball question, but what does everyone think about the Blackhawks interviewing the Cubs assistant GM for its GM job? (laughs) Sure. Well, you know, I gotta, I do have to say, you know, it, it, to me, um, a lot of, uh, a lot of these sports are kind of becoming um, very, very, yeah, very uh, non-specific. Um, more of a an approach uh, skill right. set rather than uh, than a familiarity with uh, with a particular sport. You hear about, uh, you know, I mean, like, I mean, think about um, Han. And Theo Epstein, you know, like these guys are coming from Ivy League schools. Um, they like baseball, you know, but right. And that's the thing about a GM too is you know their their position, even though they get the credit for signing this guy to this contract, making these trades. You know, we're gonna give these guys away to get this guy. Uh, in reality, most of that stuff comes from a scouting department. 
even though they get the credit. The, the, the guy that's the GM deals probably more with the legal side of things. There's a lot of red tape and paperwork that they need to know and understand. Uh, and, uh, you know, they're also the guy that uh, does all the PR stuff. They sit in front of the camera. They do the interviews, you know, these kinds of things. But really, they've got a whole department of people working on these things. So uh, if you can do that part of the job and do it well, it, you're probably right. There's going to be some crossover between the sports to, uh, you know, give you that level of comfort to be in that position, whether it's baseball, hockey, you know, basketball, football, whatever. Uh, what do you think? Yeah. I mean, that's pretty much where I'm at. I mean, uh, you know, it just, it just seems like, uh, the, I guess basically the, the whole thing is, is that, uh, and I, this also probably plays into it is the, the whole, you know, who, you know, thing. You know, it's not uh, it's not what you know; it's who you know. And a lot of these guys are, you know, you know, running into uh, their buddies, you know, dads or whatever, you know, and uh, that's how they're kind of moving through this thing. And you know, they're also picking off uh, Ivy grads, you know, that uh, are great at math. And it's it's bizarre, but uh, it seems to be the way that uh, the whole GM world is moving. You know, is that it's it's moving in a uh, analytics driven, um, a, a way to uh, weigh and counterweigh your financial decisions. That's going to make the the best sense for a team, and it might not necessarily be that I know that this guy can hit a curveball. You know, right? It, it's uh, different ways of uh, of measuring things that are allowing these guys to transfer it to, you know, and apply it to whatever, you know, whatever, right. uh, whatever sport they're looking at. You stats nerds are turning this into a mathematical kind of world. And, you know, unfortunately there's, when you're dealing with the large amounts of money that we've been talking about, whether you're on the player side or the owner side, there is a lot of money changing. Uh, they have to find ways to quantify those things. Exactly, and uh, that's what it, that's what it comes down to. Yeah, and it seems like that's what they're doing is that that they have a particular way that they're uh, that they're trying to do things that is efficient. And if that is the case, um, you know, I mean, say what you will about it being a Cubs guy, but you know, uh, McDonough was uh, doing things with the for the Hawks for years now and was successful, and he's a former Cubs guy, yeah, so. Highly praised for the for the things that he's done in the uh, Blackhawks organization. So, yeah. Speaking of, you yeah. know, uh, I know that at some point uh, when the Hawks and Bulls aren't playing on a Monday, I was talking to uh, our old uh, buddy Patrick Flowers, and he wants to uh, make his way on to here at some point. So uh, he'll be uh, thirsty. If you know who Patrick is, he used to be. Uh, Basically, he used to be the guy who started uh, that I started White Sox Daily with, and uh, now he's with Bleacher Report doing uh, Blackhawks and Bulls stuff. And uh, he would be a great guy to ask about uh, those kind of things. Um, but yeah, uh, into Patrick yeah. here uh, coming up, uh, just all around great dude, really good writer. If you guys don't know who he is, I suggest you go out and uh, just check out some of the stuff that he puts out there. It puts a lot of thought into uh his writing and uh you know there's a lot of really good information out there he's uh pretty dedicated to uh, what he does yes indeed um so yeah anyway so adam hackenberg to me he looks no, sorry, good um <laughs> yeah 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 it's a 
you know, we got uh, derailed by the Blackhawks. <laughs> but uh, anyway, yeah, Hackenberg uh, last year uh, looked like he had command of the field uh, and the pitching staff, uh, had a great arm, and um, he put the ball in play, and the guy can hit. And uh, huge, huge uh Kicking the seat of the pants to the uh, the cannonballers when him and uh, Gusenberg came up and uh, got promoted from the ACL after the draft. It was really nice. Uh, them and the bullpen guys. Um, trying to think. There's, uh, of course, there was talk of Westcath and Colson Montgomery and that those guys are going to be uh, good. Uh, one of the things that they said about Westcath is that uh, his numbers did. Uh, seemed to suffer last year, but somebody had mentioned that uh, seemed like he was putting a huge amount of pressure on himself. So they think that this year it'll uh, see some, uh, you know, an uptick in production. So, I don't know, not that I'm going to read anything from something from a, you know, a 17, 18 year old kid that's coming up from the ACL or 19 years old, you know, with Colson Montgomery, which is why we were able to get him because he was apparently 19 years old coming out of high school is, not what the scouts want to see. If he was 18, he would have gotten drafted earlier. So, um, yeah, there's that. I don't understand how that makes any sense whatsoever. Because if he makes it to double A and he's 20, he's going to be young. But because he shows up in low A at 19, I guess he'll be 20 this year coming into uh, – into Kannapolis. But, you know, if he makes it to double A by the time he's 21, just just throwing that out there, not saying he's going to, but say he did, he would be extremely young for that level. If he makes it the year after that, he'll be very young for that level. If he makes it the next year, he'll still be young for that level. The next year, he'll be age appropriate. So why are you telling me that if he's 19 when he's drafted that it's a problem? I I don't, that whole argument just kind of baffles me i don't get it and really the odd you know the, the main concern that i have in any of it is is just you know i don't care that he's 19 coming out of high school is he performing at a level that justifies his position in the draft does he have a skill set okay he does all right great you know <laughs> does he look like he's if gonna he, be very good cool if he happened to drop some draft positions to fall into the white Sox hands because of that age thing but he's performing at a level that he could have been drafted higher. Well, I don't really see a problem. Yeah, I think that they had – I, I want to say that uh, they had him rated as like the sixth best shortstop in the draft or something like that. Um, the first couple of uh, – there, there was like probably like – I think there were five shortstops taken before him in the first round, if I remember correctly. So, uh, and he went like, like kind of how he was slotted to, uh, in the, uh, in the rankings for the shortstops. I don't think he was drafted ahead of any, ahead of anybody that was ranked, uh, higher than him. Um, I mean, it's no, entirely he possible. Could've, he could have been drafted maybe some spots, maybe not ahead of any of the guys oh, yeah. that were ahead of him, but he could have been drafted at, at a higher, uh, slot. And he was, yeah. and uh, you know, I'll I'll take that. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I if, mean, that's, if, it, that's a win to me. Absolutely. If he, I mean, if he if he performs like a top six shortstop, you know, uh, cool. You know, makes <laughs> works for me. Um, I mean, if you know, I like 
and he'll probably end up, you know, there's a 50-50% chance that he's going to be better than any of those guys, you know? I mean, odds aren't likely that it'll be better than the top couple, but, I mean, you know what I'm saying. It's It wouldn't be the first time that we've seen that kind of thing happen. Certainly would not be. Um, yeah, there was a lot of talk uh, also on that, uh, that episode of uh, relief pitchers. Um, one that actually that we did not mention um, on mine and Dan's uh, thing, which – Oversight for me, I sh- I uh, kind of spaced it, but uh, Bennett Souza, um, big left-hand guy, high-velocity, nasty slider. Um, him and Andrew Perez were kind of like the, the dueling lefties for the Barons last year as far as like uh, late-inning guys, and both of those dudes are nasty, and um, they said that uh, he might see some runs, uh, that uh, Souza might see some run this year. And they wouldn't be surprised to see him up with the uh, the major league club uh, later on in the year when they're looking for relievers. So that's another one of those guys. We've talked about it time and time again. Uh, The White Sox seem to draft and develop bullpen arms extremely well, and uh, you know, in a a, probably the most volatile uh, role on the field year year over year, where we see guys who are just lights out one season and then uh, come back and kind of falter the next season, i.e., you know, let's look at guys like Aaron Bummer and, you know, uh, dare I say Ruiz and, and, you know, guys of those nature where we've seen some, we've seen some spark and then we've seen some uh, fizzle, you know, it's good to see that the White Sox have this kind of uh, depth coming through the system year after year. Uh, And I'm looking forward to seeing both of those guys. Yeah, I you know uh, there's a there's a lot of guys that uh, that I'm really looking forward to seeing this year. Um, obviously, uh, I love me some minor league baseball, so uh, I'm looking forward to seeing all of it. But uh, there are a couple of guys that you know in particular. You like minor league baseball? I, I hadn't heard that before. A little bit. Um, there's a couple of guys <laughs> you know that I'm keeping an eye on this year, and uh, you know some more than others. But uh, I, I can't I cannot wait. Um, yeah, at least we'll have that. We know yeah. we're going to have that. Yeah, at least we'll have minor league baseball. That's the one thing that uh, that at least I can hang my hat on is at least I know I'm going to have minor league baseball and that's starting on time. So, yeah, and, and again, though, I have a hard subscribing to MILB TV after all this stuff because, again, the money goes to the ownership. And I'm like, mm, right now I'm kind of feeling like, screw you. Yeah, that part's annoying, but... You know, I mean, although I would rather do that and catch some baseball than go spend my money at a game. So at least the way I'm feeling right now, again, like I said, I'll probably end up caving at some point. Yeah, that'll that'll pass. But I'm a little emotional at the moment. My my feelings are hurt as a fan. Yeah, I, I don't blame you one bit. Uh, they have uh, done nothing to uh, earn your fandom. uh this off season, not the not the players, but uh, you know, ownership. They they deserve. Uh, they haven't done anything to deserve your money at this point, um, so they're gonna have to earn. I'm not that. writing them off completely yet. Uh, you know, let's see when an agreement comes together. Uh, you know how I feel about it then, but uh, at the moment, all signs point to so. Yeah. Um, 
Oh, well, that's a uh, mentioning of the of a Magic 8-Ball. Um, have you happened to catch uh, Reacher on uh, Amazon Prime at all? Have you seen that I show? I have. And if you're speaking of the uh, episode with the uh, dented, broken... Well, I mean, I don't, spoiler alert, don't want to ruin things for you, but uh, if you have not seen that show uh, and you are into absurdly violent um, kind of uh, cop vigilante type things, uh, that's right up your alley. And it, it's a it lot of is, fun. The writing is fantastic. Acting is pretty stinking good. And, uh, you know, I, I think I'm about four, four or five episodes in and I'm hooked. Yeah, I just finished it last night, and uh, I had a lot of fun with it. Uh, the first first episode, uh, I was about halfway in, and I was like, yeah, I'm in. Yeah. That, uh, that uh, prison fight. Yeah. <laughs> I was in. Yeah. Uh, my wife and I, I you know, I was, I was kind of trying to talk her into binging it with me, and she just... You know, she's one of those ones plans <laughs> makes plans to go out on the weekend and then says, let's stay home and sit on the couch and falls asleep. <laughs> really? That sounds yeah. very familiar. To yeah, my I'm sure own there's a lot of guys that can relate to that. Yeah. You know, but yeah, uh, looking forward to uh, getting uh, the rest of the way through that because it has been absolutely fantastic. Two thumbs up from this guy. Agreed. Um, did you, uh, I assume, did you watch the, uh, you watched the Super Bowl yesterday? I did. What'd you think? Um, well, I'll give you my opinion after I've heard so many others and people telling me it was a boring game and blah, blah, blah. I didn't find it boring at all. I like those tight matchups that kind of go back and forth a little bit. And, you know, there were some missed calls and some non calls. Yeah. And, but, uh, all in all, you know, that, uh, that final drive by the Rams was, uh, you know, maybe not ridiculous storybook kind of ending, but uh, impressive to say the least. And uh, I was, I was actually quite happy with how it went. You were a Rams guy then? No, actually, I was pulling for the Bengals. But uh, you know, I honestly didn't have a horse in the race. To be honest with you, I, uh, I, you know, I was kind of hoping that my square numbers would come in. But they, they didn't. Fair not. enough. Yeah, but. Uh, you know, to see some uh, a couple of teams that, uh, or at least one team that has struggled for decades, finally not only get their first playoff win in 31 years, uh, make it to the big show. That was really and, nice. Uh, yeah, that was awesome. And then you know, the other thing is uh, Matt Stafford. I have thought most of his career he was a pretty studly uh, quarterback and uh, played for some awful Detroit teams. So I'm happy for him to get that win. Yeah. Uh, I mean, as far as human beings go, uh, Matthew Stafford seems to be uh, a pretty fantastic guy. Now, with that being said, I wanted him to lose, um, but you know, I I don't. Uh, I, I'm not angry that he won. Um, I wanted the Bengals to win. Um, yeah, it was unfortunate. You know, I just I felt that uh, the Bengals did not do nearly enough to try and get Joe Burrow some blocking. Yeah, that, I'll agree. That after that I after also, the first touchdown in the uh, second half and then the preceding field goal which that drive did not go great, but everything after that 
the guy was running for his life the entire time, and they did absolutely yeah. nothing to change that. I think that was a coaching gaffe on uh, on the, the Bengals side of the ball. Uh, you know, it's pretty well known that uh, the Rams like to rush five guys a lot. They like to use big blitz packages and get a lot of guys back there in the backfield. And, uh, you know, the Bengals didn't do much to counter that, unfortunately, more yeah, in the exactly. second half than in the first half. Yep. Um, and I will, I'll say this also, and I, I, I posted on my wall yesterday on uh, Facebook, but, uh, you know, I was really kind of baffled when Cincinnati got the ball back with literally two minutes left in the, in the half, in the first half on that interception in the end zone. They took a bad penalty from a ding dong. They wanted to come off the bench to celebrate. What was that? Not even in uniform. <laughs> wow. Uh, yeah, so they took a bad penalty there. And then after that penalty, they just kind of seemed to lay down. Instead of trying – now, I, I don't know about you, but, you know, we've seen a lot of Patriots teams in the Super Bowls over the last, you know, decade and a half or so. And we've seen a lot of other really good teams in the Super Bowl, and I don't know that I've seen any of them lay down without trying, at least trying to run a two-minute drill. And uh, Cincinnati did nothing of the sort. They didn't try to get the ball out of bounds. They didn't try to get the ball downfield. They just said, you know what? We're going to go in to the locker room at halftime with the game at least close. And they kind of just, you know, fell on the grenade there. And uh, yeah, that's just not a Super Bowl winning move to me. Yeah, that penalty with uh, Numbskull in his uh, flip-flops uh, running out in a T-shirt and uh, – Celebrating with his guy that uh, intercepted the ball in the end zone. That was, <laughs> I mean, me and my kid were watching and we were laughing about it. But at the same time, <laughs> I'm just like, what is this idiot doing? You know, and it. I guess he it, figures he wasn't uniformed up, so he's going to get his TV time somewhere. I'm going to go wave my towel in the cameraman's face. Yeah. And it's, you know, I mean, it is entirely possible that that penalty you know, took them out of, you know, had they been like 15 yards, you know, yards farther out uh, to start their, their drive, you know, uh, maybe they push it a little bit more and they're put in a better spot and they kick a field goal and then it's a different story, you know? Yeah, we go uh, it's just, half, oh, at least tied, yeah. you know? Yeah, but then, you know, uh, but then, you know, like Aaron Donald, uh, that guy was ridiculous. Um, that defense looked uh, pretty stinking good, and the Bengals could not stop Cooper Cup when it came time to stop Cooper Cup. You know, I mean, that's basically yeah, what well, everything boiled down a, to. It was a theme pretty much all season. Cooper Cup was, uh, in my good. opinion, he, in my opinion, he should uh, he should have gotten the uh, the NFL MVP or the I should say the NFC MVP. Well, but, uh, I, I digress. Yeah, well, you know. You can think that. It's fine. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Just, just saying, you know, it, it often goes to a quarterback more. Yeah, than not. no, it mostly does. Yeah. Difficult for anybody else to uh, get a run at it. But uh, I don't know. The season he had this year was pretty stinking phenomenal. Yeah, I was, I was, uh, I, I'm not going to lie. Like, I, th- I thought he was great coming out of college and I thought he was going to be fantastic. I drafted him the first year of, uh, that he came out in my fantasy leagues and uh, he ended up being really good. Um, but did I think that he was going to be one of the best wide receivers, you know, have one of the best wide receiving seasons of all time? Like, 
you know, coming close to, uh, you know, Megatron numbers and things like that, that I did not see coming. So, uh, yeah, I was pretty impressed. Um, uh, the reason why I was thinking about that is, uh, after talking about Reacher is the commercials from last night, uh, the commercial from the, uh, the new Lord of the Rings, uh, thing, uh, came up on that. Um, that looks fun. Yeah. I'll have to reserve judgment until I see it because I'm always very skeptical about things like that because that's a that's a huge undertaking like that whole thing and Peter Jackson did such a good job on the movies that I'm I'm going to have to see some of that uh see some of that series first before I make up my mind on that on whether uh, I'm excited yeah. or not. I mean I'm excited. I want to see it, but I like I'm cautiously optimistic, you know. Yeah, there's always that sense that it could be a letdown. But, uh, you know, just from you know, the trailers and the things that they showed during the, the, the game last night, it definitely looked like it had some uh, high potential. Yeah, it looks, I mean, it looks like it could be good. But uh, then again, you know, cautiously optimistic. I think that's the way to, I think that's the way to go into things like this. Uh, speaking of uh, other things that are related to uh, other shows that have already happened uh the bel air uh being bombarded by bel air previews the uh the the fresh prince of bel air but now it's just bel air and it's produced as executive produced by will smith um and it looks kind of like it looks like it's way more serious and uh but at the same time it has musical numbers in it with dance cut scenes like uh, High School the Musical or something. Yeah, um, it, it, I, I, I can't say that my interest isn't peaked, but again, you want to talk about cautiously optimistic? That's kind of where I stand on that one. Uh, you know, we go from the, the sitcom that we know from the 90s to more of what seems like a dramatical. Uh, dramatic, 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 dramatical, dramatical. It's a word. It's a, a word. A Nick, a Nick, dramatical. <laughs> it's it's a, it looks more dramatic, and uh, you know. And then again, you say like the musical numbers. Like, do we call it a musical? Do we call it a drama? Yeah. You know, I don't know, but uh, we'll see. And I you know, the I, yeah. I looked at the character that they they or the guy that's playing the character of uh uh. Uh, oh my god why am i fresh losing prince? my mind oh, oh fresh prince carlton guy? oh carlton carlton yeah. and i thought to myself ah they could have done better yeah well i they mean you know done. yeah that's going to be one of those things you have to see him in action because at the time you know i guess alfonso ribeiro you know he was kind of a big deal at the time he was in uh silver spoons and stuff so he did have that going for him yeah, um, he dancing, but, uh, he dancing on Pepsi commercial, Coca Cola commercial, or some kind of commercial with Michael Jackson. Oh, I didn't think 80s. about that. Yeah, yeah. So, um, he I don't was know. Somebody. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I'm not. Uh, I, like, I saw that, and I was just like, "Why? Like, why are we? Why are we doing this? I, I don't know why we need to do another reboot." I was just uh well was, that's how I feel about most reboots these days but I, maybe it's because I enjoyed the original so much that I thought to myself I'll give this a chance and see what happens 
cautious optimism. You say robots. Oh, is that me? Not reboots, but robots. Yes. <laughs> yeah, a little bit roboty, Mister Roboto. Um, anywho, uh, with it being um, Saint Valentine's Day today, um. Do you have uh, somebody, if you you had your druthers, of uh, as far as performance base goes on the Chicago White Sox of 2022, uh, who would be your Valentine? Who would be the guy who you would want to most perform for the White Sox this year? This, you know, and I... I thought about this a little bit this afternoon after the tweet went out for the show. And uh, I knew that this subject was going to come up and I thought I knew he's going to, Ian's going to ask. And I kind of went over and I still, to this point, after thinking about it for hours and hours, I'm having a very difficult time with this because there's a couple of guys I really want to hang my hat on. I want to see a, you know, a few guys bounce back from last year, but if I have to choose one and I'll tell you why I'm going to choose this one. But if I have to choose one, it's going to be Aloy. Now, of all the names on this team, I could have taken, you know, Yasmani Grandal. I could have taken Lewis Robert. I could have taken Yohan Mankata. And those are, you know, three of the other guys that I really thought about hanging my head on. Uh, reason being Aloy is I want to see him healthy for an entire season. I want to see him produce at the level that we have been told that he can produce at. And uh, I think if he can do that for an entire season, it's going to be a huge jolt in the arm for the team. Uh, now, the reason I wanted to choose these other guys is for the same reasons. You know, Yasmani Grandal uh, had some uh, injury struggles last year, and we talked about how now he says he's, you know, stronger and ready to come out healthy this year. And, you know, I want to see him, you know, again, for a full season of health. Same thing with Lewis Robert. Uh, and same thing with Yohan Mankata. I want to see Yohan Mankata things, you know, not be questioned for being at third base. You so, want to get uh, shirtless pictures from Aloy? Had, did you ever get a chance to check that out? I, no, I, have I did to not see it. <laughs> I did not see it. I'm going to have to go look just just because we've talked about it so much. But uh, <laughs> All right, uh, so yeah. I will answer my own question. Um. And the guy I am going to go with is going to be Lucas Giolito. Okay. And the reason I say Lucas Giolito is because we've seen him be really good, which, you know, 2019 and uh, 2020, especially against the A's, which was you know, a no hitter, obviously, as well. But against right. the A's in the uh, in the playoff in the wild card series, um, I was hoping that in 2021 he was going to take a step. And I felt well, he in took 20, a step. I was hoping that he was going <laughs> to take a step further. You know, and um, I, I felt that like it was like a. Uh, and, you know, while he was a he was a good pitcher last year. I mean, I'm never going to say that he was a bad pitcher last year. He certainly no, he was not. Um, but 
it wasn't that step that everybody is looking for, you know, and I'm hoping it almost almost felt like he stepped in it a little bit. Not that he was bad. He just wasn't as good as we had seen him perform in the past. I'm hoping. And if I had my way, that would be the guy that would do that. And, win the Cy Young this year. Now, you could say, well, why don't you say that about Kopech? You know, or you say that about, you know, Yoan and Aloy and Luis and, you know, yada, yada, yada. My thing is, is that, yeah, while I also would like to not see Aloy get hurt because that's a, <clears throat> a huge thing. And, like, I think that if he stays healthy, I think if those guys stay healthy, I think that offense is – Phenomenal, you know, Stellar, re- regardless of whether we get a second baseman or whether we get a right fielder, I still feel that with the pieces that this team has, you know, even if they were to piece together uh, Gavin Sheets, Andrew Vaughn, right field with Adam Engel, and then throw in Romy Gonzalez uh, at second base, I feel that that would be good enough offensive wise i feel that you know with rodan going away um and him just being absolutely filthy last year if he's gone we need somebody that is there doing that kind of thing as the you know quote unquote stopper you know if you're going yeah. into game 1 of a series that he's going to go out there and he is going to eat your face, you know, like he did to the A's, you know, his changeup was just killing guys. They could not hit him. You know, he's got a perfect game going through the fifth inning or whatever the heck he had, um, fifth or sixth inning or whatever it was in the playoffs. And, you know, we, the white Sox need a guy like that. They need a true ace. And as of right now, you know, I mean, he's had his moments where he's had very ace-like stuff. However, the consistency of those ace-type numbers hasn't been there. The consistency of a a really good pitcher has been there, you know, um, that would put you towards the uh, the Cy Young talk. However, you know, like that uh, guy that comes out there every fifth day, for like the last two months of the season that just absolutely shuts the other team's offense down and doesn't give up, you know, a run for, you know, four starts in a row. Like that guy we haven't seen yet. And I think that, I mean, I think the talent's definitely there. Um, You you need that guy that's going to, you know, you're going to go into the playoffs and you're going to say, this is the guy that's going to get me the early lead in the series. And we're going to jump out ahead quickly can put the pressure on, on the opposing team. That's uh, what I'm saying. Yeah. And uh, you know, in that regard, uh, I have to agree with you. I, it, 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 Like you said, I'm not unhappy with anything he did. He had some, uh, he had some great moments. He had some not so great moments. You know, the, uh, there were times when the fastball just kind of seemed to straighten out and, uh, you know, look like a beach ball going up there. And, you know, he struggled through some of that. Yeah, and then there were other times where he looked like he was completely untouchable, and yeah. I just want to see a little more consistency out of him. And you know, as far as pitching goes, 
you know, we talk about Lucas Giolito taking that next step. Uh, Dylan Cease is another one of those guys that I'm looking for to take a, a step as well. Uh, you know, we've been hearing about his stuff for a while now, and he did take a step this season compared to what we saw from him the year before. Uh, and I would like to see, you know, another step forward. Absolutely. With those two guys, if they if both of those guys make step, it's definitely going to take some of the brunt of losing uh, Carlos Rodon out of the equation. Assuming that now, he doesn't come back. Right. Assuming he doesn't come back. And, you know, I think it's a fair assumption that he doesn't. Yeah. Unless this uh, unless this new CBA puts some kind of big increase on uh, White Sox spending, which uh, I'm not feeling completely comfortable with at the moment or confident in, I should say. Yeah, no, I wouldn't be. So, uh, yeah, I mean, I've been pretty vocal about it. First and foremost, I would love absolutely love nothing more if the white Sox didn't do anything else for the entire offseason. i would love to see carlos come back but if we were going to see that happen they probably would offer the, the qualifying offer first and tried to you know hook them that way oh i mean I, we were talking about this before i was pretty much under the assumption that they were gonna you know that they're trying to lowball him and try and get him for 336 or something like that you know if they were gonna re-sign him uh i i was just fairly certain that they just didn't think that he was going to make $18 million a year or that he was going to sign for more than that, you know? And uh, we'll see what happens, you know? the find that unrealistic, but you, you never know. Especially yeah. the way the uh, the early part of this offseason went. Yeah, I don't see him signing for, yeah, less than 15 probably it, at this right. point. If, if we look at, you know, the numbers of the guys who were signed – before this lockout started, uh, every indication is that uh, he's going to get paid because some of these guys who were uh, performed under what Carlos did are going to make more money than what that qualifying offer was. I wholeheartedly expect Carlos to uh, try to go out there and get that deal. That yeah, deal. go make that money, man. You know, Ashley's got to have some money to go buy some shoes for babies, you know? Yes, sir. So, um, yeah, I totally, I totally agree. I don't, I, I don't expect any player to come back here and sign for a lesser amount. I think that is uh, completely unfair, uh, and I don't, I can't expect. I wouldn't want anybody to say the same thing to me. Oh well, you know, we love you so oh, much. Oh, but if you just, take a team friendly deal, we'll yeah. make you a White Sox ambassador for the rest of your life. Yeah, we'll sign you for, you know, $20,000. <laughs> What's a big deal? $20,000 less a year. Well, it's a pretty big deal. Uh, um, <clears throat> all right. Well, it's been a good week. Let's hope some, uh, some good week, uh, some good news comes up in the next week. That's what I'm hoping for because, um, we sure could use it. Uh, the Absolutely. last uh, last few weeks have started to wear on everybody, and so and I don't even have any money at stake. I can't imagine how everybody that's actually dealing with this, aka you, Lucas Giolito, um, I hope that you can weather this storm and uh, get the best deal for your brethren because uh, this is aggravating the piss out of everybody I know. So I can't imagine how it feels for you guys. So. Um, you got anything going on this week, Danny? Anything good? Uh, this week I will be extremely busy. 
the uh, RV and camping show over at the Donald E. Stevens Convention Center. So I'm going to throw a quick plug out for uh, my employer, the House of Camping, located in Bridgeview, Illinois. If you or anyone you know is looking to uh, get to the great outdoors and do some RVing, come down, check me out. I'll hook you up with a deal. We'll get you on the road. Sweet. Um, Yeah, I don't have anything going on this week to speak of really uh i actually i'm i got a i actually doing a concert on friday so that's uh something different well that's uh, something yeah i've been uh kind of laying low on that front um not doing a whole lot of that since this whole uh dang Covis thing did some uh street festivals over last year but uh finally starting to get back out and uh doing shows again Right on, it, yeah. Uh, I to me that's uh that's that's a bigger thing than you're making it out to be. I mean, it's good. Opinion. You know, I I missed it for sure. Um, but with the uh, the whole uh, lockdown thing and the whole virus and everything, it kind of made shows kind of a pain. And you know, lo and behold, I ended up yeah. getting getting it uh, a few days after I did a show. Go figure. So. <laughs> And you know, and you, you, you know, off all this stuff that's been going on the last couple of years, you know, you, we heard about it a little bit in 2020, but nobody's really talking about it no more. These gig workers are really struggling with yeah. uh, a lot of this stuff. So it's good to see some of these guys getting out there and uh, doing their thing again. Yeah. I know that uh, most, a, a lot of the guys that I know that uh, do production and, uh, work for bands, a lot of them are, you know, doing cover band stuff here in the city. So they've been, still kind of uh the cover band thing has been still chugging along a little bit uh the the ones that have been really having a hard time are the guys that are doing national acts because you know it's when you can start getting like these uh these tour buses full of like uh full of guys traveling across the country the odds of somebody catching it in that bus and then everybody in the bus catching it has been uh really high it's happened a lot uh, right. So, uh, yeah, I feel I feel for those guys, and um, that used to be my you know line of work, as as you know. So uh, I got a lot of friends out there in that uh, in that field of work, and uh, heard a lot of bad stories about people just losing months and months of income, you know, just like that, you know. Yeah. So. Yeah. Let's hope that this thing goes away and everybody can get back to uh, regular life and we can start uh, going back out and seeing all the concerts that we want and not have to worry about uh, coming up with some sort of debilitating uh, respiratory illness, you know? That'd be fantastic. Absolutely. Um, Yeah, so uh, that's probably it for the week. Um, Hit uh, next Monday. You can find this anywhere where you find your podcasts uh, at Daily White Sox. Uh, I am at I Eskridge on Twitter, uh, at Danny Miller WSD on Twitter. Um, yeah, so uh, I guess we'll see you guys next week. Uh, it's been fun. Hopefully we have, uh, you know, again, hopefully we have something awesome to talk about next week. Um I don't know if that's going to happen, but, uh, you know, hopefully uh, we start seeing some uh, some positive movement here and uh, not uh, too 
two adult male rams just hitting each other over and over again on the side of a mountain because that's what we've been looking at lately. Um, so we'll uh, we'll catch up to you guys next week and uh, see you guys here next Monday, hopefully. And uh, thanks for everybody that came into the chat and came and talked and uh, watched. And um, we will catch you guys next week. My name is Ian Eskridge. That's Danny Miller. It's been White Sox Daily Live. Thanks and have a great evening.